0: Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Genesis 1.26 Welcome, Tales of Glory listeners. I am the missionary at the microphone, your host, Reverend Mike, the M. Sixteen Bishop, and we're coming back today with a field guide to spiritual warfare. We're in chapter two, in the beginning with Jesus, and we covered part one, in our last episode, and here in episode, where we're at ninety-eight. Oh my gosh, we're in
1: episode ninety-eight already. Right? Time flies. Again, we are covering the second portion now, which is the
0: fall with Adam and Eve in Genesis 3. And again, this is chapter 2, part D.
1: So I know you guys have been waiting for it. It's been a while between being sick. I tell my voice is still not clearly back right now. So let's just do a quick update, too. So a lot of things have happened, right? <laughs>
0: we start with... Back in early January I got the Wuhan takeout, the the COVID. And I was fortunately clear within a week or something I took the test, I was better. I was popping down the ivermectin and some super C vitamin D and stuff like that. But I had this lingering cough that won't go away. And it got pretty tumultuous too, because I think Back around the twenty second, was it a Monday, the, the Sunday, the twenty second? I can't remember the dates now. I was supposed to fly out and meet Cindy McGill and Abby in Las Vegas to work on um, with some people in prophetic evangelism, and, and we we uh, kind of worked our way into dealing with some people in sex trafficking in their convention, and was able to give prophetic words and give dream interpretations and go, "What, Mike? What's this you ask?" It was a really interesting uh, event. It was. Um, an adult video <laughs> in conference. Mike, where are you going with this? We can't listen anymore. Turn them off. Turn them off. Now, fortunately, I know some of the crew I went out with and um, a lot of the 12 ladies, I was surprised to find out that they listened to this podcast. So if anybody just runs away or something, it won't be them. So I was kind of honored to go, wow, people are actually listening to this? So we may have more than three listeners and a dog. I don't know. I don't know how they do the demographics here. Never really um, had the interest going on. I'm building a you know, a broadcasting empire. It's not my intent here. My intent here is just get out the material I've been come across with, um, the material I've vetted and worked with PhDs with. That's the purpose of Tales of Glory, and to specifically get out information on the supernatural and the paranormal as it appears through the Christian lens. Um, I know I like listen to Blurry Creatures. Some of my friends do too, but sometimes they go off the deep end. Some of those people just eyes roll go wet. But on occasion, I'll have a really good speaker on there. So anyway. Um, I try to uh, shore things up, you know, like I said, my friend Tony's word, she uses like to shore things up here and bring it. So there's no wackadoodle stuff. And it is, we'll explain it or we'll vet it um, in a proper manner. But right now we are going into a field guide, spiritual warfare, that wonderful book that was wrote back in 2010, and it's still chugging along. And so I don't know what brought me here to do this one. Um, I was planning on doing some other stuff and people are still asking about a field guide, spiritual warfare. and like, I thought maybe if I did the advanced field guide, that was enough. But I think there's a lot more interest right now in the field guide, spiritual warfare. So we're diving back into that. We're looking at that right now. Cool stuff. I'm going to go through this book. And this. like I said, I'm going to come through the approach that this is 2024. And I actually wrote it in 2009. It was edited in 2010. And early 2011 was published by Destiny Image. So that's 14 years of experience and also, like I don't know, thousands of deliverance, how many exorcisms, how many um, cases of ritual abuse we worked with and stuff, all engaging the um, the occult and learning more. I still learn more every day. Every day I learn more until you die, right? God's just going to keep teaching us, teaching us, teaching us. We can't know everything. That's why I think it's kind of silly because charismatic churches and the other, oh, here's our brother right here who knows everything in deliverance. I go, really? Do you Really? That's interesting because every battle I've been in has been different. None have been the same. This is not methodical. And that's the message I'm getting out right now. This is not methodical, but this is how you prepare yourself spiritually to go into battle. That's what the field guide is for. It's not a how-to book. It's not a cookbook of recipes. It's to inspire you and to give you a couple aha moments. Of, oh, that's
1: what that is. To help you guys be equipped when you step out. Step in the ring, right? Remember, it's MMA sometimes. So let's dive in. Where are we at right now? We're going to start with the creation of Adam
0: and Eve. Um, the last time I was following the headers of the chapters, the, the subtitles and headers, it's going to be too difficult to do that. So I thought the best thing to do when we're we'll covering the same material is just to go through Genesis 3 with you guys, walk through it. We'll get the same material out of it, we'll look at the same things, but I think just a straight walkthrough. Be the most sane way rather than hopping around and trying to make it connect to the headers because it was kind of difficult, and so I just had this epiphany of the nightworms in my chair dealing with this long post COVID cough late at night. Like, oh, I'll just go straight through Genesis 3. And what I'm going to cover here, too, is your basic MDiv pastor, master's of divinity pastor, will only teach on Genesis 3 as the fall. That's one fall, but I was not aware there was two other falls after listening to Dr. Michael Heiser um, and uh, what's it called the Bible project, a couple of other things. Um, it came to light and a couple of books I've been reading too, by those people and uh, some people had recommended is there were three falls and they're a lot
1: bigger and encompassing than we were taught at church. I think a lot of it is we just didn't know what to, how to deal with
0: the supernatural That's what Tales of Glory is for. How do we deal with the supernatural? Like I said, three weeks ago, I heard a sermon on Genesis 6 that was just blood curling. I go, no, stop, stop, stop. (laughs) It's not even close to being on base here. Close to being on track. So let's dive in. Creation of Adam and Eve. What do we have here, Mike? Let's
1: take a look. Actually, it's the verse I opened with for this, this
0: podcast. But we're gonna. I only opened with um, Genesis 1:26. Let's go through the whole thing. So this is God creates man in His image. What does that mean to create in His image? Let's take a look. Then reading Genesis 1:26 to 31. I'm reading it. All my sources are the ESV. Verse 26. Then God said, "Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens." over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on earth. We're going to come back to let us create man in our image. So here we go here, verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the
1: image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Talk about imaging here. What is this? And God
0: blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish, of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. We were given dominion over the earth. We were to subdue the earth. We are unique from other animals because we are spiritual beings. You know, I love my dog to death, you know, and I love my pets and animals, but they are not spiritual beings. They are not. They have souls, and we know from my friend Abby pointed out from Leviticus that they dogs have souls, and we'll probably see them again. That'd be cool if we saw them again in heaven. That'd be make it almost fantastic in our pets. But they are not spiritual beings. They are
1: not. And they are not imaged to be like God or anything else. They're, they're creatures. They're, they're animals. Verse 29, And God said, Behold, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding
0: seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall
1: have them for food. Nice. Nice, nice, nice. Verse 30, And to every beast of the earth
0: and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of
1: life, I have given every green plant for food and it was so. What does it mean the breath of life? We see in
0: Genesis 7 where God removes the breath of life when he floods the earth. The breath of life, each and every one of us, every breath we take, it comes in from the rock. Messiah, rock, the spirit that's set apart, the Holy Spirit. The breath of life is from the Holy Spirit. Every time we breathe, we're breathing the Holy Spirit. That's our life. So verse 31, And God said, everything that he made, and behold, it was very good. And there was everything, and there was morning the sixth day. We're on the sixth day. So everything that that exists, the plants, the fish, the animals, the birds, they're brought into existence with the breath of life from the Holy Spirit. That's the creation process. Later on, we talk about decreation in Genesis 6 and the flood. God removes the breath of life. That's how everything died. There are lots of theories about violent eruptions of the waters coming up. I'm sure that was. I'm sure it was very violent. But the main goal was if anybody tried to survive or hold onto a log or or surf
1: the waves or something, whatever they tried to do to survive, their breath of life was removed. Let's look at some more about imaging here a second. Adam's descendants to Noah, and this is Genesis 5,
0: 1 through 3. This is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Male and female he created them, and he blessed them and named them man when they were created. When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered his son
1: in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. This imaging part is multifaceted. We're going to look at this. We were created to be priestly beings,
0: to serve God, to govern, and have dominion over the earth. We were imaged like God, but not totally like God. And since we can procreate, and we're only spiritual beings that procreate other spiritual beings, when we father another child, it's, it's after our image, right? So we, we pass on the imaging from the father. I'm sure a lot gets picked up from the mom, too. But, you know, this is how it works here, right? That spiritual creation is both the image of the mother and the father, right? That's probably how the data goes across the, our past histories and things like that, too.
1: We have a lot of DNA data in our bodies, a lot of it. I think probably it probably comes from the imaging. God was pretty smart we designed this. So we were imaged to do a job, to be priestly kings. We know that. And
0: to be in the garden, and to be part of God's Edenic family. I'm getting held, held myself here. Okay, here we go. Although we were created in God's image, we were created in an image lesser than angels. This is true, too. So, God, why did God create all these spiritual beings? Why did God create us? God wanted to create a governing family. So, He created the spiritual beings, and He created us, divine spiritual beings, who were to... Work as imaged, you know, rulers and have dominion over the physical realm we're in. We're not yet in the
1: spiritual realm, not yet. So we know this from Jesus when Jesus came down to become incarnate. When he, he the
0: Holy Spirit, you know, placed his life, imaging into um, the womb of Mary. Jesus had to come down from being a God, and the next year down was the imaged angels, and we're. Image lesser than angels. That's what we see in Hebrews 2, nine. But we see him for a little while who was made lower than angels, the sons of God, interject that right now, Ben Elohim, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death so that by the grace of God he might taste death for
1: everyone. There's a little diagram here if you're watching on YouTube or the Spotify or Rumble. It kind
0: of shows the Stair, step, tier, So the imaging, Jesus was imaged directly of God. The sons of God, the divine spirits, whom we refer to as angels and counsel and stuff, were imaged lesser than God. That's why Satan can never take on Jesus, because he's imaged lesser. He may be godly-like, but he's not completely God. He lacks a
1: lot of stuff. And we humans are at the bottom of the step right there, Right? So we are lesser than angels in our imaging. The little circle
0: there, the heavenly unseen, right, is uh, God, but he can come back and forth and become God incarnate, or we can see him. So good imagers are God's glory, and bad imagers rebel against God, Satan and his fallen angels. Or I call divine spirits, They're not really angels, because angels specifically are a messenger.
1: Like Gabriel's a messenger, right? He had to deliver a message to uh Mary and he delivered a message to Joseph in a dream, I believe. Let's look at the fall. Genesis three. So in the creation, God did something incredible. He gave
0: mankind dominion to rule over the earth. Mankind, like the angels or divine spiritual beings, were granted free will. Both the divine spiritual beings, all, all creatures that were spiritual creatures that were created have free will. With that free will came the moral responsibility to obey God. When Adam was placed in the gar- garden, God commanded him not to eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil.
1: That was one thing we heard right off. Don't, there are two trees. Don't you dare go to the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So what we're going to do here is we're going to pause a little bit and discuss God's Edenic vision and cosmic geography.
0: What's that? What? What? This is stuff we don't really... Kind of hear from the MDiv side, but we hear more from the PhD and the ancient Near East, um, ancient language people who study Hebrew and Mesuric Hebrew and the the Qumran uh, texts and what surface. Let's talk a little about this. What did the Second Temple Hebrews believe? What did Paul believe? What did the Apostle John believe? What did the Apostle Peter believe? We got to go back to the Old Testament. Remember, I keep harping on this that they didn't have a Bible, they didn't have the Gospel, they didn't have Paul's epistles. All they had was this Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible, the Hebrew Old Testament, called the Septuagint.
1: And in the synagogues, they had the copy of the scrolls in Hebrew, Masoretic Hebrew, and some of them were Aramaic. So, looking back, what what did our apostles believe? What
0: was God's Edenic vision? God wanted to create a spiritual family, including man, spiritual beings, embodied in flesh, that's us, mankind, to build a family with intimacy and co-govern. He wanted a close-knit family that he could love, God's God of love, and he wanted to govern the universe with us. He didn't need us to do it, but he thought it would be kind of fun. Hey, with my
1: kids, let's build something kind of cool here, huh? Let's build this. So I use that word cosmic geography. Eden is
0: where God's spiritual kingdom, the mountain of God, and Earth intersect. What? What did you say? It's a mouthful. We know back last time we were studying the King of Tyre, right? It was, it was either Isaiah 14 or Ezekiel 28. We came across the mountain of God. And I was talking about this, this cherubim spirit that got in trouble, God rebelled, who was, most likely is Satan, um, had the uh, title of Morning Star, or what the um,
1: Latin Vulgate calls Lucifer, the title of Lucifer. So, we have this intersection. So, we have soil.
0: It's probably around Iraq or Iran somewhere. Because I just, I'm going to put a video I just saw too. Some guy trying to track down the four rivers. We have a physical geography location. Where these four rivers, Pishon, and that was Euphrates, and a couple of those meet? Was the location
1: of Eden. But this mountain of God was spiritual. And it came down, intersected this, this area. So, we
0: say that Eden is a cosmic geography. Because the spiritual kingdom of God, the mountain of God, is thrown, sat in there, while at the same time in the physical reality, we had the Eden and the garden and the trees, right? So, this is a cosmic geography where these two physical and spiritual things intersect. We also have them for Shoal, too, the realm of death. Those happened also. Let's look at the next one here. We're looking at sin. We're looking at fall. We're actually looking at three falls. And we're going to expand that sin has cosmic effects in both realms. It
1: affects both realms and, and it has its consequences, especially when the um, divine spiritual beings,
0: the AKA the fallen angels rebel. It could creep into some heavenly places and, and you know, it just brings defilement and decay. Many times I've heard pastors who really don't understand what sin is they say, oh, it's like, um, you know in archery, when you take your arrow out and you shoot and you miss? If you miss by so much, it's called a sin. And I heard this, <laughs> that, I don't know how many times I heard that sermon. I just want to cringe. Sin is when the defilement comes in, like the original sin that got in through us. We, well, I'm getting ahead of myself, but when Adam and Eve disobeyed God, they were given spiritual death sentences and physical death sentences. And that was sin. That's just not missing the mark. There was something that in God's design that now brought in a defilement and decay and had to be dealt with. And that's what sin is. And that's why we don't want to let sin enter our lives. We fight it on a daily basis. We have a hard time because man's inherently evil. Um, I'll show you some two places I found. It was Genesis 7. God said it after he fled the earth. And there's a couple others. So we have to be careful and on our toes to do our best not to sin and repent when we do. But anyway, that's all I want to present is sin. So it's going to happen both at an angelic
1: level or a divine spiritual being level and as well as a human level. And we'll see what this looks like. So we're going to Genesis 2.9, verse 9. And out of the ground the Lord God
0: made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil.
1: Genesis 2:15 through 17. Verse 15. The Lord took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. Verse 16. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, "You may surely eat of every tree of the garden.
0: Verse 17. But of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat for the day, and that day you eat of it, you shall surely die. You will die if you eat from that
1: tree. That's probably the one gave game, don't, don't go to that tree, don't eat from it. I don't want you to go anywhere near it. So with that set in play, we have the tree of knowledge of good and evil, right? It was in the midst of the garden, and there was a tree of life. We can
0: eat from any tree, but do not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Let's find out why. So we're in Genesis 3, we're entering the fall. So verse 1, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made.
1: Read this as a second temple Hebrew person or reader. And let's look at the words lifting off the page here. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field. The serpent in Hebrew is nakash the
0: serpent. And he was more crafty than any beast of the field, which means he wasn't an animal. That's the point they're making here. Nakash, the serpent, was more
1: crafty than any other beast of the field because it wasn't an animal. Now it starts talking, right? Of course, not animal.
0: So he said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree
1: in the garden? Verse 2. And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden,
0: but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. So you're not even allowed to touch it. It's not a shiny apple looking at you here, guys. It's, <laughs> it's the old folklore. They're not eating a shiny apple. And it's not a snake in the tree. She's not just having this conversation with this funky looking serpent. It's most likely the divine spiritual being that was defined in Isaiah fourteen
1: and Ezekiel twenty-eight. The one with the title of, of Lucifer, the one of the morning star. That's who she's talking to. Verse four But the serpent said to the woman, You will surely not die,
0: for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. And you'll be like God,
1: knowing good and evil. So, the Christian folklore is, it was like a poison apple putting up there, right? Or something
0: was wrong with it, and it made her sick, and, and it caused her to sin because she lusted for the apple. It's not a fruit she's eating. What's on this tree is a knowledge of good and evil. What's on this tree is the knowledge of the Elohims, the sons of God. And they have a knowledge of both good and evil. And God did not want mankind acquiring their knowledge. I believe that while we were in the garden, God wanted to teach us about this firsthand so we would have had a different path. But, uh, well, I'm getting all of myself here. Let's keep going. I don't want to get ahead. Don't want to, don't want to spoil it for you. But keep this in mind. What was in the, the tree of knowledge of good and evil was knowing what the...
1: Sons of God, the Ben Elohims knew. The divine spiritual beings are on the council. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be
0: desired to make one wise, right, she's acquiring, she's acquiring knowledge, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. And he was told firsthand by God, don't you dare even touch that tree, you'll die. What is going on with this dude? What's happening here? I have to have a talk with him in heaven. What'd you do? What happened? Verse seven. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths.
1: So the first thing that overcomes them is shame. They're naked. Oh my God. Look at us. Knowledge of good and evil. Now let's go on to verse 8. This is kind of cool. We have the Lord walking in Genesis 3, verses 8 through
0: 13. We're just pushing on from after the the fall here. Verse 8, And then they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves
1: from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. What's unique about this? We have the Father, the Son,
0: the Holy Spirit. The Father is spirit, and he resides
1: on the throne in heaven. The Holy Spirit is also spirit. So here we have a picture of God walking. Spirits don't walk. Who could this be? We have an incarnation of Yahweh. Most likely,
0: it's it's Jesus. Jesus is walking in human form through the garden. I know there's no betting in heaven, but that's what I put my money on. That's what I put my money on. I'm going to go talk to Jesus. Dude, was that you in verse 8? You know, hand bump. Heck yeah, right?
1: I'm pretty sure this is him. This is an appearance of, there he is right there. Genesis. Cameo appearance by Jesus right there. Jesus the man. Jesus God. Verse 9. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said,
0: I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself.
1: Verse 11, he said, Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I command you not to eat? Verse 12,
0: the man said, The woman who gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. (laughs) He throws it on her. Sorry, I have this cold cough. (laughs) Till he blamed her. He
1: threw his wife into the buzz. Oh my god. Oh my gosh, is he in trouble? Wait till she finds out. Verse 13. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this
0: that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me and I ate. So now it's the serpent's fault. It's Nagash, right? The spirit's fault. So that's great, they're blaming each other. <laughs> That woman you gave me, she made me eat it. Well, that, that serpent you let loud in the garden, that creature, that spiritual being, he, he deceived me.
1: She knew better. They both heard from God, right? Do not eat. Do not touch. So they disobeyed. They fell. Now remember, we're talking about sin being cosmic consequences.
0: Here we see Nakash, who we'll later find out down the road, is Satan through um, linking them through various books of the Bible, most likely in um, Revelation, it's all called out by John. That dragon, that serpent, you know, the devil, the one we refer to as Satan, he links them all together. Yep, that was Satan in the garden. And this was a rebellious act, and it had to be dealt with. So it's cosmic sin. Now, in the spirit realm, there's this tainting going on as, as Satan continues to
1: sin, and now he has caused the man, the woman, to be fallen and their spiritual death coming and their
0: physical death coming. And that comes in through the original sin through this, this act. Why does it cascade down to all men? That's what, you know, it took me a while to figure this thing out. You know, you have to pontificate and ponder and think about what's going on here.
1: Adam was literally the son of God, God, whether it was Jesus, I think all things are created through him by him, maybe it was Jesus that formed him in the sand, or the dust, the mud,
0: and in the, the Holy Spirit, the rock, the breath of life, came in and breathed into man.
1: So Adam is a direct creation where the Father in heaven is directly his father. Likewise, since he is pure and how, you know, hasn't re- reproduced yet. And then
0: Jesus, Herbert, did put him asleep and, and reached in and created uh the woman from Adam. She too was like, you know, that's, that's her father. Both of these were not created. This is the chicken and egg situation, right? In this case, God created the chicken. And it's a bad analogy, but he created the man, the woman um, directly from the dirt and from from Adam's parts.
1: And so both of these were sons and daughters directly of the Father in Heaven. Directly. Now what's going on here is Satan and the angels rebelling against him did not want
0: Adam and Eve to be the rulers of the earth. Satan wanted this for himself. So he was going to derail this whole process. He knew if he got the man, and the woman to rebel against God, you know, they'd have a horrible fate waiting for him. And we did. We got we got the assignment of death, spiritual and physical, uh, some of the consequences. But since Adam was the original, you know, the original model, the sin stuck with him, and it, from him it cascaded down through reproduction to everybody. The original sin. We we're all born fallen.
1: And that's where this comes from. And that's how it happens. Let's move on here. So the consequences of the sin. Genesis three fourteen through 20. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field.
0: On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat, all the days of your life. We're looking at dust you shall eat. This is a, a we're looking at a second temple Hebrew or, or prior to that idiom for, when we see dust, we
1: see shoal, death. On your belly you shall go, down to death, down to shoal. Which also means he's being associated with death. He has
0: now has a timeline of where he's no longer an eternal being, but he'll be destroyed. And we'll see
1: this this is coming. Interesting stuff here. Verse 15, I will put enmity between you and the woman.
0: So there'll be this constant battle between the woman and the enmity. These prophecies we're looking at right now, and between your offspring in the uh,
1: Hebrew seed and her seed offspring, Um, in Hebrew, we know the context. Eventually goes down to Jesus and Mary, given birth to Jesus
0: and being the offspring, it takes on the devil, you know, in the final blow. But it also is in context to every mom, where something evil is born or something like that. It's the the woman has the capability to offset this and bring somebody good in.
1: We see in Adam and Eve with um, King Abel, right? King kills Abel. Now he's in trouble. But now to offset what the enemy has done with, with Cain is that Seth was born. And we see it on and on and on, all down the line,
0: where something, a wrong is committed and a, a new person comes in, is born. The lineage of Jesus, that it offsets this. So between your offspring seed and her offspring seed, there's a, there's a battle going on between evil men and women who are born. I don't believe this has anything to do with the Nephilim. A lot of people go going, say that's a smoking gun for Nephilim. It's not. But we also see that down this cascades down to Jesus being born, which comes up with this, this sub-prophecy right here in Genesis 3.15. And we're referring directly to Jesus on this one. He shall
1: bruise your head. So God's telling him, one offspring is going to come, he's going to bruise your head, and he shall bruise his heel. Right? So Jesus at the cross dealt a death blow to Satan, which bruised his head
0: because he's not, he's like I always said, like he was bleeding out, right? He's, he's in trouble. It's a death blow and he's not going to win this. But at the cross, the enemy bruised his heel.
1: He was nailed to the cross there. Let's move on. Verse 16 to the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in
0: childbearing in pain. You shall bring forth children your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. It seems kind of harsh. I know a lot of people go, why would, why would God do this? Because she was, she was being punished. Uh, the woman, who is now Eve, went out of her way and disobeyed and took for herself. We're going to see this language again. The, the, she took for herself the knowledge that God wanted to give her or probably train her with on his own. But she took
1: it on her own without permission and it didn't fit us. This knowledge did not fit us. And that's what God was trying to warn us about.
0: Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. I know a lot of feminists don't want to see this one either, but it's, it's what happened The wife was put underneath this, and it's not a subservient type of thing like, well, get over here, you know? It's not that type of thing. It's just, I think there's a thing where there's this relational obedience, and that's how it's played out. But I know a lot of people try to make it more messed up in their marriage than it is. And that's
1: not what they're saying here. It's just we were put over our wives. Verse 17 And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife, and you have eaten of the tree of which I command you,
0: you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. So he's going to have to toil the land. He's not getting that free good food that was in you know, he probably had to go pick it himself off the trees and, and in Eden. That's not anymore. He's got to toil the to land. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. We have thorns and thistles, and that's kind of a sign of a, a shoal here, too.
1: So this is what you guys get. You're you're kicked out. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground.
0: For out of it you are taken, for you are dust. Again, sign of Sheol. And to dust you shall return. Again, Sheol, the realm of death. And we see dust associated with Sheol. Remember, even um, the serpent was brought down to Sheol. We've seen that back in uh, Genesis 3.14, and we saw it in Isaiah 14
1: or Ezekiel 28, one of those two, where I brought you down to the pit. See, we, this stuff's aligning, right? It's connecting. Dots are connecting. The man called his wife named Eve because she was the mother of all living.
0: And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins
1: and clothed them. So now the animals had to pay the cost, right? Because so we had to be clothed. Genesis 3, 22 through 24 We are banished from the garden
0: and the divine counsel appearance. Verse 22 then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Hold the breaks here. We saw this before. Let us create man in our image. And right here, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. God is talking to his divine spiritual counsel that's present. And we'll see more of this. Again, it's something we didn't, it's been glazed over in church. I think the Western church glazes over it a lot too. And I think we kind of took up the, um, the Catholic model of uh, choirs of angels, which is wrong. We start looking at the second temple Hebrews, look at this. This is a divine council that's present with God. And we know that probably even the one titled Lucifer was probably even on this council. We were probably even on the council too, called ruling God, because we, we were ruling over the earth. And we got in trouble and kicked off the council. Where Paul says, "Don't you know one day you'll be ruling, you'll be judging angels, but not now. That's because we're on the council with them. We have not been returned to the council. What happen after Jesus returns." So, warning to you, intercessors, we can't judge angels, can't do it. I know this kind of bends your halo when I say this, but it's true. You get yourself in a lot of trouble, horrible trouble. Let's continue. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also the tree of life and eat and live forever. I think he, they had to kick him out because if he went in the tree of life. It looks like we would have stayed forever in the fallen state with no possibility of grace, no possibility of salvation from Jesus. I'm not sure on that, but that sounds like how this reads. I kind of wish I had a commentary or something from the Second Temple guys, what they believed on this, but that's not existent Verse 23, Therefore the Lord God sent him out from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. So he's kicked out. Hey, here's your your dirt, there's your thistles, go to work. Verse 24, he drove out the man and at the east of the Garden of Eden he placed the cherubim. Remember this cherubim is like a guardian spirit. Not an angel, it's a spirit. Divine spirit. And a flaming sword that turned every
1: way to guard the way to the tree of life. What do we know here in Genesis? The tree of life shows up in
0: Genesis and all the way into Revelation Tree of Life shows up in Revelation in the, the New Jerusalem. right? With the water's flowing from underneath it and all that stuff. It's, it's
1: there. So we start with the Tree of Life and we end with the Tree of Life. Very interesting. Very interesting. So that was the fall. The human
0: fall we've been taught in Sunday school. The fall we've been taught at the pulpit with the Masters of Divinity um, seminary pastors we have. But we're going to go off the reservation right now. There are actually three falls from Genesis 1 to Genesis
1: 11. We've covered the first one that we're all aware of. Let's go look at the other two falls and why they falls and why they're significant. We'll see that the second fall occurs in Genesis 6, and the third fall occurs in Genesis 11. Let's unpack these. So we're going to fly through this material, but I actually wrote a book
0: um, cosmology and demonology in Genesis one through eleven, where I'm gonna pull some of this material from, and I highly recommend you will get that book. Um, it's gonna be on my uh, Field Guide to Spiritual Warfare at blogspot.com page, where we're gonna host episode ninety eight, this is chapter two, part two, for Field Guide to Spiritual Warfare, and that's gonna bring you up the speed on a lot of stuff of how we're augmenting and as we move forward. I'm not gonna change a whole lot after this, but I want to bring you guys up to speed on where we're at with cosmology and demonology and angelology and what it really looks like, and when it, how it should be. Um, and if we're going to view this through the eyes of uh, the Apostle Paul, the Apostle John, and at times even Jesus quoted some of this stuff. So what does it look like? Where did Paul get his language for Ephesians 6.12? It all comes from cosmology and demonology in Genesis 1-11. I mapped it out there, but it's, it's all out of Genesis 1-11. through 11. Remember, all they had was Septuagint. That's where this language comes from. And Some of you sat down and talked with me, or I mentioned before in Tales of Glory, Ephesians 6.12 is where I was stuck for decades because I didn't understand where Paul got that that language from, that context. And now we have it. It's all put together here. It's been vetted. It's been vetted by um, PhDs. Dr. Michael Heiser is the one that presented it the most. I think he's the one that championed um, bringing us to light. It's not a new revelation. It's been around for a while. I have books in the 70s that also present this. It just wasn't widely accepted in church and it wasn't taught in MDiv. If I understand from other PhDs, uh, not, not a lot of angelology and demonology is taught. Um, and I mentioned before, I went to the 2013 conference for Roman Catholic exorcists. They were kind of dumbfounded too when this information was brought up. It's not divulged, so get the book. Get the book, guys.
1: It's, it's available on my Etsy site. I'll, I'll send you guys a link to that. So the second fall is Genesis 6. The Watchers
0: and Cosmic Sin. Who are the Watchers? They're um, it's what the Divine Spiritual Council is called in the Book of uh, First Enoch, which is a commentary on Genesis six and some of the ancient stuff here. Some people call it like a history book. I think it's more of a commentary, It's how it's be handled and read. And like I said, the Watchers are the Divine Spiritual beings, the Divine Spiritual Council. They're the Holy Ones, but they also um, came up with this horrible idea to come down and mate with human women and produce offsprings and this was a cosmic sin because it was a rebellion against God and the angels were in no way allowed to come down and you know mate with human women the, you know, the daughters of men that was, that was a no no bad not supposed to do it and it was far more worse issue than what Satan had done in Genesis 3 let's, let's find out why because God took action right away on this one. Genesis 6, uh, verses 1 through 6, the watchers, the sons of God. When man began to multiply on the face of the land, and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive, and he took as their wives any they chose. I know in the Western literature we're trying to move out of the supernatural, and we tried to place the sons of God with Seth. However, in the Masoretic Hebrew, when you come across Ben Alchim, which is the sons of God, and every time it's used, it's referring to the holy ones or the, uh, the divine spiritual beings and a council. So, when we read this, we can't use our Western eyes and try to take out the supernatural. Which say the sons of God, the Ben Alchim, saw that the daughters of man were attractive and they took they took, as their wives, any they chose. And there's that language again, again, right? For falling, took. Eve took for herself the knowledge of the ben al-hims, the knowledge of good and evil.
1: Now here, it's the watchers, some of the watchers who are now falling because they took, use that same language, it's happening the opposite way now, right? As their wives, any they chose. hope that light bulb goes on right there.
0: Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh, his days
1: shall be 120 years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterwards. This is
0: interesting. So Nephilim were on the earth in those days prior to the flood and also after the flood. We don't know how they came back after the flood. I was kind of hoping maybe some scrolls at Qumran popped up or something that
1: would help tell us, like, oh, there's the backstory of that one. But there may have been two incursions of angels that, that broke from their domain. And I talked to prior, to that the
0: unclean spirits in Mark 1, and we encounter, whenever we encounter unclean spirit in, in the Gospels, it's referenced back to, they are the disembodied spirits, the bastard spirits, that came through this hibernization between divine spiritual being or an angel and the daughters of man. The people are going, how can, you know, according to Matthew, we don't have wives in heaven. We don't. We don't. We've seen divine spiritual beings in Genesis take on full human form. I've seen them take on full human form. And I think they can eat, have taste buds. They can even, I think they can even reproduce if they wanted to. But that's a no-no. Like, don't you dare. Do not do that. They're capable of doing it. We're not talking about the unclean spirits, where they don't—they're disembodied, right? These divine spiritual beings can take on. I think they have the ability to take on bodies when they come down to earth. We've seen it, you know, the angels that went with um um to go rescue Lot, right? So here we are. So Nephilim were on Earth in those days and afterwards, when the sons of God came and the daughters of man—there it is, right? They bore into them, and um they they had children. These were the mighty men. Who were of old, the men of renown. These were very violent men. Look at the, uh, oh gosh, is it the uh, genealogy prior to this? About how violent some of these people were. We do know the research, when I did research for the book, that the Watchers came down to earth during the time of Jared. I can't remember in, in genealogy, I should look this up, where Jared was. I Jared was the great-grandfather, possibly, of Noah. And they came down during time of Jared, and they started this whole thing, and they, they were just v- very violent conquerors. And when we look at the Bible genealogy, all these, these violent conquerors, killing people, building cities, those are the men of renown. Nimrod. Nimrod was one. I'm pretty sure Nimrod was a Nephilim. Whether he was a giant or just had... Evil in his blood from the Nephilim genes, they made him violent and made him, you know, conquer and build stuff. He's also the person behind the building of the Tower of Babel. If we look at Josephus, Nimrod was involved. He wanted to stick his thumb up at a at God for flooding the earth, right? So he built this tower he thought would be so
1: high he could never flood the earth again, but that didn't work out so well. So, verse five. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. The wickedness of man. This is all of us. This is how evil and depraved
0: creation had become. Both animals and man. The watchers brought the depravity. The watchers brought unnatural sexual um, immorality. And they bought a lot of stuff. They bought witchcraft and all sorts of things with them. So now it just, it just tainted the, the human race. That's why we had to do a reset. We're going to do a creation reset. And you'll find out about that in my cosmology and demonology book, what that looks like. Verse six, and the Lord regretted that he had made man on earth and it grieved him to his heart.
1: One thing that stands out here is, um, I remember I was, <laughs> I was on a Catholic um chatboard
0: and then we were talking about I guess we're talking about catechisms and one thing caught my my attention was according to catechisms of the Catholic Church, man cannot be evil. He's incapable of being evil. And I said, well there's two accounts by God in Genesis, both in Genesis 6, 5, and I think in Genesis 7, where God said, you know, even after you're flooded the earth and wiped it out, it goes, man is still inherently evil. I cited those two, and they're going, nope, the catechism overrides what's in the scripture. And I'm going, are you kidding me? Are you I just bailed out of there like, oh, there's no way to <laughs> present an argument here. I'm, I'm gone. Check, please. Get me out. So verse 7. So the Lord said, I will blot out man and whom I created from the face of the land, man and animals, and creepy things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. Where does this language come from? It came from Genesis, right? We're looking at what Genesis one, like one twenty six. We're God will create man in my image. Let's create man. Let us create man in our image, and so that he may, um, you know, have dominion of the birds and creepy things and birds. This is an uncreation now. I'm going to blot him out. We're going backwards to creation. God's going to wipe him out. This is an uncreation event about to unfold with the flood. That's how it looks. All the symbology is there. So verse eight. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Whew, thank God. Thank you, Jesus. So how can we tie some of this stuff back? Where do we see it in the New Testament? Is it referenced? Yes, it is. And it's loosely ref- referenced, and it's kind of like, meh, how does this can interconnect? But if we start seeing the language and what these guys are talking about, like we see it from the author of Jude, we see it from the author of Peter, and we've seen the same stuff that uh, Apostle Paul is talking about in Ephesians 6.12. Let's look at this. So from Jude... Six through seven, the Watchers and chains, and the angels who did not stay within their position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness,
1: until the judgment of the great day. Who are we talking about here? Satan is not locked up. He's not. Who is this?
0: This is the Watchers because of what they did for their courage and they violated God's creation. With these, like I said, we call them bastard spirits or unclean spirits because they're not allowed anywhere near heaven because God did not ordain this. They are hybrid human spirits. Another thing God did not ordain between these angelic or divine spiritual beings slash human hybrids, which became giants. We see that with David um, and Goliath. Right? What was Goliath? He was one of these Nephilim. Uh, We know Goliath's brothers, the other ones before David's mindmen took him out, they had six fingers, six toes,
1: right? They're abominations. They were abominations. Verse 7. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding
0: cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued a natural desire, served as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. He's linking the angels here, whoever the author of Jude is. Just as God did not allow the um, angels to break from the domain and have a natural sex with women, similar was going on with Sodom and
1: Gomorrah. If you look at the underlying story of Sodom and Gomorrah, what their sin was, the men who came to Lot's house desired the angels. They already knew
0: the depravity of the watchers. They already knew about sex with angels. That's why they're calling them out. That's how the Second Temple Hebrew would have read that. Like, oh, these these sinful people want the angels, so they they were having sex with angels in these towns. And that's why Sodom and Gomorrah was wiped out. That was its his, his sin. I know some of your halos are bending right now. What? Follow along. We're going to see this again. Let's, let's see how it's interconnected. Here we go. The watchers and chains. Who are we referring to? The angels that broke from, from Mount Hermon came down and took for themselves daughters of men as wives took for themselves. So we see in 2 Peter 2, verses 4-5, through 5, starting verse 4, Or if God did not spare the angels when they committed sin, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until judgment. If he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness with seven others when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. Here we have the sin of the watchers connected with the flooding of the ancient world. Why God did it. It's with the depravity and the defilement that these angels brought, they literally just messed up creation, so God had to have an uncreation event unfold, where the, the creation went backwards. And that was the flood. Remember, He returned the the world. That yeah, cut. He returned the earth to a big ball of flooding, chaotic waters, chaos, deep waters, churning, dark and deep, and that's what the um the earth initially looked like during um, creation where the Holy Spirit blew over it. They separated the lands. So it went backwards and they had to redo it. Keep that picture in light. That's what we're going for here. This is a Sunday school lesson for Noah you never got. So let's look at the third fall. So the, the second fall was the watchers and the, who broke from their domains and had um, intimacy with the daughters of men and were abomination children, the Nephilim, who were wiped out by the flood and became demons. We talked about it earlier too. So the third fall, Genesis 11. God divides the nations as a punitive response to man's disobedience and places them under territorial
1: or aka regional spirits. So everyone to look at it. And where does this happen? The Tower of Babel. God divides the nations. Genesis
0: 11, 1-9. Let's read it. So verse one, now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. I believe this is Iraq. Remember when they were leaving the ark in Genesis 10, all the offspring of Noah and his sons were supposed to go and multiply and fill the earth. But everybody decided to go hang out in this land of Shinar. And that was irritating Jesus. So verse 3, And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick
1: for stone and bitumen for mortar. A lot of things hyperlink here. What are we looking at here? Where are we seeing the bricks and bitumen?
0: We've seen it in Exodus. We're getting a whole ahead of ourselves here. What was the um, conditions for the Hebrew slaves, right? They're making bricks and burnt them and, and bitumen for mortar. It kind of has taken us in some sort of... Um, Situation with maybe some slavery going on here. And it's reflecting the conditions, right? Although this, this, this takes place before the Exodus, it's the authors going, hey, you know, this is kind of what it looked like, right? It was a bad situation for the people here. They were conquerors. They were being ruled over. It wasn't, it wasn't a fun place to live. So, verse 4 Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the earth. They knew they were going to be dispersed. They knew it. They knew God was coming. They go, eh, what the heck? Let's build a tower. I think they thought they built a the tower big enough and Nimrod elevated himself enough. He may have been like God or you wanted to invite God in. Don't know what his plan was, but I'm pretty sure from the Josephus, the way it was worded.
1: Nimrod did not like God whatsoever. He was still angry about the flood. Verse five. And the Lord came down to see the city in the tower.
0: Which the children of man had built, and the Lord said, "Behold, they are one people, and they all have one language. And this is the only beginning of what they will do.
1: Nothing they will propose to do will now be impossible for them. So God's got to take action here. Look what they're doing. Verse seven:
0: Come, let us go down. What's that? What's that verbiage again? Let us go down. The divine council. Here they come. They're coming down with Yahweh and they are confused their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So verse 8, So the
1: Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Verse 9, Therefore its name was called Babel, because
0: the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from all the Lord dispersed them all over the face of the earth.
1: This is important, who was dispersed? Yahweh kept his portion, the Hebrews. The 70 to 72 other
0: nations are the Gentiles, those who were under Hebrew. So when we see the great commission and what, what Jesus left us with and what Paul was assigned to be the the apostle to the Gentiles, these are the Gentiles, the 70 to 72 nations all coming back in other Jesus after the, um, you know, this punitive damages happened and for what we did for disobeying and all settling the Valley of Shinar in Iraq. Now, after Jesus has come and rectified a lot of stuff and was worked on the cross, he's going to bring all these people back in the fold, all 70, 72 nations. And we see that number 70 or 72 pop up quite a bit in the gospels. Like the 72 disciples return, Lord, Lord, do the spirits re- respond to your name? Luke 10, 17. That was a, uh, Jesus' eye wink to the 72 nations here being restored. Because we're going to need this stuff to go against some darkness as we bring these people back in the fold, or go against the witchcraft they've been taught to use as we bring them back into the fold. Very exciting stuff. So it's gone full loop, right? So now we have the Great Commission looping back
1: to the Old Testament. Back to Babel. So What's happening here? How do we know that God assigned territorial spirits
0: as judgment? We know it from Deuteronomy thirty-two, eight, verse eight. When the Most High gave to the nations their inheritance, when He divided mankind, when did He do that? Genesis eleven, right? He dispersed the people. He divided them. He fixed the borders of the people according to the number of the sons of God, the Ben Elohim.
1: Who were that? That's divine council. Divine council members. Right there, guys. There it is. Again,
0: Ben Elhim is in Hebrew is specifically reserved in the Old Testament for the Divine Council members. They're spiritual beings. It's not holy
1: ones or righteous Levites or nope. It's these are spiritual beings. It's part of God's council. So what happened? Some territorial spirits became wicked or were wicked. That these people are placed under Psalm eighty-two, one through eight, we see this: "Rescue the weak
0: and needy," a psalm of Asaph. Verse one: God has taken His place in the divine council. There it is, in the midst of the gods, He holds judgment. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked?
1: Verse three. Give justice to the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the distute.
0: Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. They have neither knowledge nor understanding. They walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. I said, you are gods, son of the Most High, all of you. Nevertheless, like men you shall die and fall like any prince. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for you shall inherit all the nations. Right back to the Gentiles coming back. Let's look at verse 7 though. Nevertheless, you shall die like men and fall like any prince. These principalities refers to, right? Back to the Ephesians 6.12 language, there it is. What's going to happen? He's going to round them up and throw them the lake of fire at the end. They're, they're no
1: longer eternal. They have a time limit on them. So I'm going to hop over here a bit. That's what I say. You need the book Cosmology and Demonology in Genesis 1-11. through
0: 11. But I'm going to read from one of my, my pages, page 93. What's going on here? Humanity rejected God's Edenic vision and his restoration plans through his people. So God rejected the nations and decided to start over with his chosen portion, who the Hebrews, tribe of Israel, right? Jacob, Jacob, Abraham, right? We see right here, the next story, right? Genesis 12, Abraham. That's when he starts let's go back to this. These rejected, disinherited nations divided
1: under Elohims were the Gentiles. The Gentiles were left in spiritual bondage to corrupt Elohims. In his book Powers of Darkness, Clinton Arnold writes, The Old Testament gives
0: yet another insight into the unseen realm of spirits and angels by speaking of supernatural beings that are closely attached to all nations. This idea first appears in Deuteronomy 32, 8-9. When the Most High gave to the nations their inheritance, when He separated the sons of men, He fixed the bounds of the peoples
1: according to the number of the sons of God. For the Lord's portion is His people, Jacob is His heritage. The Greek version of the Old Testament interprets the sons of God as angels, and thus
0: translates the key phrase, He fixed the bounds of peoples according to the number of the angels of God. This passage is best explained as teaching that all nations of the earth are given over to the control of angelic powers, a.k.a. territorial spirits. Ephesians 6.12, boom, bam, there it goes. Principalities, we're not war against flesh and blood, but against um, spirits, and, right? You know, it's Ephesians 6.12. This is where Paul's getting his verbiage. Let's recap on the three falls. Genesis 3, Satan rebels, man falls, and man has cursed the original sin, and Eve took for herself the knowledge of the Elohims, and both Adam and Eve took it. God didn't want them to have it. He, God, I think God just wanted to teach us on his own how to, you know, he wanted, he wanted us to be his children. I'm going to show you guys, like a father, I'm going to show you guys how to do this stuff. But we took it, rather than listening to him and being educated by him. So, it's cost us ever since. Original sin cascades through our, our seed and our reproduction and our offsprings. Every one of us, even after post-Jesus, we have to... Be reborn. Genesis 6. The Watchers, the divine spiritual beings who rebelled, came down and took wives. Spiritual beings and man fall. Both of them did, right? Because we're going to get wiped out in the flood. Everybody's getting wiped out. The consequences was everybody gets wiped out. And since there are spiritual beings who couldn't be wiped out in the flood, they were tossed into the abyss
1: in chains. So we have cosmic sin going on in both levels. Genesis 11. Man
0: rebels to God's command. Some territorial spirits become evil. We're assigned some territorial spirits. When you see the word demon in the Old Testament, it's not like the unclean spirit in the New Testament. It's usually referring to a territorial spirit that people are worshiping.
1: Like, do not eat food sacrificed to demons and stuff like that. That's Don't eat food that's sacrificed to a territorial spirit. The spirits that the Apostle Paul is referring in Ephesians 6:12 are the rebelling divine
0: spirits from Deuteronomy 32.8 and Psalm 82. Wicked territorial spirits in the Old Testament, including the Egyptian gods in Exodus and the Prince of Persian, Daniel 10:18, or 10:10 10, 10 through 1018, 10, are examples of territorial spirits. You know, Ra and Horus and all those gods that were had something come against something, during the plagues. Those are all territory spirits. If you look after, I can't remember the exact, uh, maybe it's somewhere right around after the, the death of the firstborn, where it said, there's a verse there, it says God brought judgment against the Elohims of Egypt, the sons of God of Egypt. These were real spirits. We don't depict them as real. You know, as we go through Sunday school or at the pulpit, these were real spirits and the, Akartamim, the sorcerers, had real power in witchcraft, and so did the pharaoh. That's why they were so afraid to get their clock cleaned when this happened from Yahweh. He demonstrated who he was how superior he was.
1: So the prince of Persia and Daniel, remember the Michael warred against him for 21 days or something like that? Um,
0: we have good princes. Michael, the archangel, is a good prince. We have a bad prince, prince of Persia. He's one of them from the Ephesians 6.12 that's called out from dark heavenly places. That's him. And they were all dealt with with, by Jesus when he came on the cross. These things are still roaming free right now. Like I said, it's collateral damage. We covered that in um, the last couple of
1: episodes on this book. I'll refer to those. But the good news is, after all this chaos and three falls, we know that the
0: angels are in the pit who committed this. Um, We know there's, there's unclean spirits wandering around. And what else we got? We have territorial spirits. We got the Watchers. They're locked up. We have their their hybrid, unclean spirits running around right now. That's what demons are. And we're dealing with original sin, from the first fall in the garden, with um what what Satan did with us, and tricked uh or deceived uh Eve, and of course she talked Adam to eat it. So both of them have it <laughs> right. Both of them. What are you guys thinking? What are you thinking? So that's what Jesus had to come contend with. It's it is a hard, like I said, it's a hard, if you look at this, how spread the sin was, both in our physical realm and with what the angels did. They freely rebelled against God and committed unnatural sexual acts with women. So that's a cosmic sin,
1: right? And it also extends into the heavenly realms. that had to be cleaned up. But we we're offered salvation, but those guys weren't. Thank you, Jesus.
0: Death through Adam's life, life through Christ. Romans 5:12 to 21. This one sums up. Verse 12. Therefore just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, and in this way became death to all people because all sinned. To be sure, sin was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not charged against anyone's account where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as did Adam,
1: was a pattern of the one to come. But the gift is not like the trespass, for if the many died by the trespass of
0: the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many. Jesus fixed it all for us. Through through our salvation through him, he justifies us and pulls out the original sin. And through sanctification, I don't think he really pulls it out. He nullifies it. He cancels it for us. But through sanctification, I think we work out the original sin. That's the rest of our life goals. Just walk this thing out. Verse 16. Nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed by many trespasses and brought justification. That's justification. We're stamped clean. By the sacrifice of Jesus. He's the only one who could do it. And so it was a cosmic sin, right? It just can be an animal down here. It had to go into both layers, the heavenly places, and it had to go down here in the physical places. And only Jesus could accomplish that. He could be the only sacrifice. Or if by the trespass of the one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one
1: man Jesus Christ? So the death and trespass came through one man, right? It came through Adam, first Adam. And death reigned through that one man. He was his We had spiritual separation from God. Right? We were no longer walking in the garden with him. And we had physical death in a timeline. We we're probably, we may have been. Immortal,
0: I think, inside the Garden of Eden. I'm not sure. But it sounds like it would have been. God just stripped us a bunch of stuff.
1: Because we screwed up. We took the amazing gift he gave us and just like you know, like little bratty children, eh, I want this.
0: Imagine what more amazing stuff he could have taught us we didn't go to that tree of knowledge of good and evil. Verse 18. Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification
1: and life for all people. We ask Jesus in our life, that's justification. For just as through the disobedience of the one
0: man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, many will be made righteous. So through the disobedience of Adam, we will be made sinners. And through the obedience of Jesus Christ, who went to do the mystery of the cross, um, we will be made righteous. Nice, because we can't do it. We can't do it. The law was brought in so that the trespass might increase. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. Got that? But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. We have a way out. We got a way out. No matter how dark your life seems right now, no matter if you're entangled into witchcraft or something dark, there's a way out. It's just appeal to Jesus. Appeal to Jesus. Things aren't going the way you want. You're stuck in a drug, drug addiction right now. You're stuck in prison worrying, what, what's my life going to be like? There's a way out. Jesus Christ. Call to him. Call to Jesus. Call to
1: him. You're on your bed right now crying your brains out, and you're just listening to this weird guy in a podcast. And there's a way out.
0: And we experience eternal life as we live and we sanctify ourselves. Remember, we are imaged. If you're hurting and something feels off, something feels fulfilled, it's because you're not updating your image to become more like Jesus Christ. That's your identity. I know a lot of people through counseling didn't know what identity in Christ meant. It's as we become more and more Christ-like through reading about Him, praying to Him, crying out our hearts to Him, asking Him for help, going through harsh trials. We learn to trust Him. I learned to trust Him. I remember I had an interesting conversation my friend Cindy McGill. Um, the other day, she goes, I don't know, Mike, how you do the things you do. And all, of, all the things you've been you know, physically hurt by and all this other stuff. She goes, I don't know how you do it. It's because through this level of warfare, I trust Jesus. I trust Him. I've been thrown in the hospital and Jesus told me the day I'm getting out, it was a lot sooner than doctors thought. All sorts of crazy stuff. So when it happens, He protects me, He covers me. But it's just, it's just we've been through so much together. You know, we've been through some gut wrenching stuff, some painful stuff from relationships, and Jesus has got me through them. I'm just going to invite you to reach out to Him. Think about this. You know, I wouldn't be peddling this stuff, and I'm not. You know, I'm not getting money for it to make a living off it. I'm not. But I want you to know, the one reason we're here right now is not to go on a paranormal show and co- contact the dead and have proof of the dead. We're not even supposed to talk to the dead. There's a reason we're not supposed to, because it's not the dead talking back to us. We don't know who it is.
1: But if you're hurting inside, reach out to Jesus, talk to him, talk to him. I know. I guarantee it or double your money back on this podcast, right? That he's going to, he's going to,
0: he's going to change your life significantly. I've had people who are strung out on, on drug addictions. They are dying. And I've seen they, Jesus pushed Satan out of the way when Satan came to collect. And it was Jesus that brought him back to life. I've heard so many stories like that. He's real, I man. When am I went out to Haiti with the witch doctor, right? I was sent out there because he was given a Bible, this witch doctor who's creating zombies and stuff out there. And the pastor gave in the Bible told him to read Galatians. I can't remember the exact thing was in Galatians. And the witch doctor said, I'm not reading this. And so the witch doctor set down the little Bible on his table in his hut, was trying to go to sleep, but he couldn't go to sleep because he felt like he was supposed to read the Bible. So I'm not reading that Bible, I'm not reading it. And finally he decided he drink some alcohol and get drunk. He polished off a bottle of alcohol, didn't do anything. So finally he just falls asleep and in his dreams. Jesus shows up and reads him that section out of Galatians that the pastor asked him to read. And he wakes up and he's freaked out. And he didn't read Galatians. He went over to the pastor with the Bible. He goes, is this what Galatians says? He goes, yeah, did you read the Bible? He goes, no. Your Jesus showed up to me in a dream and read it to me. <laughs> right? And he became a Christian after that. Now he's flown out to do some spiritual warfare stuff for this guy. Helped free him some, from some death um um oaths he made through voodoo and stuff. And we broke stuff off. It was very, very powerful. But it's cool stories like that. I know Jesus is real. Give a chance. He may not get crazy stories like that, but it's okay. You're going to have your own personal story about Jesus reached inside you and pulled you out of the pit of hell.
1: That's what it's about, man. so much garbage here the enemy runs. Don't listen to him. Ah, we made it to the end. End of chapter 2, part D. This is the end.
0: Next time we'll continue in chapter 3, Authority in Christ. I think we're going to talk about some dead raising, some healing, some spiritual authority in that chapter, right? Um, a lot of that stuff may not be shuffled it may be still the same as I present it so I just wanted to present the angelology and demonology as I now understand it I believe to be the, the, the format that the second temple Hebrews believed it aligns properly with what Paul was presenting in his epistles and what John was presenting in Revelation and what the book of Peter was referring to and the, the angels in chains so good times Again, I strongly recommend you pick up my book Cosmology and Demonology in Genesis One through Eleven. It's available through my website. It'll be on the Field Guide Spiritual Warfare for you guys to pick up. For um if you want to read it, go to that site. Um, also, pick up a Field Guide Spiritual Warfare and read through it with us. This is an awesome book, and not because I wrote it, it's just because of feedback I got from people. And so many people's lives have changed from this, and I strongly recommend. When you're doing spiritual warfare, you're wondering if God's real. Um, it's a safe book. It's a safe place. Safe book. <laughs> just kidding. Um, it's good. It's a good stuff. Um, I almost swear to God, man. <laughs> I was writing late at night. There's was like a Holy Spirit scribe going on. Can I go back and read stuff? Got that right That <laughs> What? But yeah, just just get in the zone and pray with Jesus and talk to him while I was writing. Was some cool stuff came out of that. Very cool stuff.
1: Working with the Holy Spirit there. There's a book, Cosmology and Demonology. It said, go ahead and pick that one up if you got it. Very helpful. This
0: will actually give you a shot in an arm and a primer to jump over to, into some of Dr. Michael Heiser's stuff because his books are thick and they're hard reads. I love them. I love those books, but it takes me about six months to get through a book. Dr. Heiser, my, that's the only thing is on my bookshelves right now, Dr. Heiser and PhD uh, level dissertations about Jesus and the Psalms and stuff like that. It's the it's stuff like, uh, just it digs up the, like churns the soil so I can read it, so to speak, in the, the, the Old Testament. Cool stuff. You need a total understanding of Old Testament to look at the Gospels. You need it. And we don't do that in church. That's why we get these hyperboles and stuff. So, if you enjoy the content, share the links with a friend. Subscribe to us, whether on YouTube, Spotify, Rumble. Um, I know we're on uh, Apple Podcasts, a couple of other things too. We're all over. So, if you like the Blessed Ministry, we'd be grateful. You can bless us through PayPal m16ministries at gmail.com. That's like m16rifle. m16ministries at gmail.com. You can bless us through that. Yeah, we enjoy that. We're still, we're still kind of listing here in some of the finances, but it's okay. We're getting by. Now, be a blessing. Make good choices. Right? Until next time, this is the M16 Bishop signing out for the M16 Bunker. Love you guys. Amen.